Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, friends, and welcome back to our show, where we talk about TV shows. And today, we are about to dig in to episodes six and seven of Gentleman Jack. Steve, take it away. Thank you, Eli. We are indeed going to dig into episode six and seven of Gentleman Jack. And dig is a very appropriate word for what's going on in this show and what <laughs> yeah. Anne Lister proposes to do on her land to dig for some coal, mm. which... The running theme is in, you know, it is indeed a nasty business. Um, There's some really incredible things in these two episodes. I dare say they were the most dramatic and intense Mm. of any of the episodes we've watched on shows with friends thus far. We're not afraid to go deep and watch some hard hitting dramas here. And I feel like Gentleman Jack had a fun vibe, was very funny and witty and cool, and really dropped the drama in the last two episodes. So I have dying to get Eli's take on episode six and seven of Gentleman Jack. What do you say, Eli? Yes, this has been a ride this first season, and you are definitely hitting the nail on the head with these episodes. What a what a intense and not just intense but also rich couple episodes. And they go deep <laughs> and they also continue to show this amazing humanity in multiple characters. And I found them enriching if that makes sense you know in a way that the earlier episodes that could be maybe said about as well but these two especially yeah they were so rich and enriching and they felt yeah they felt like all the you know we've talked about how amazing this show is uh, at translating emotion and what it must have been like to be this actual historical person and figure uh, in Halifax and in the world at this time. And these really, really, really put us uh, into this world and the struggle to be Ann Lister and to just simply be in this uh, world and small town mentality, small town logistics uh, of the reality of the show. So, yeah, absolutely very powerful, uh, intense, uh, deep drama. A lot goes on in six and seven. So, yeah, I guess 
there's anywhere you want to start, Steve, anywhere is cool with me because these are uh, two amazing episodes that I'm also excited to, to dive into. Yeah, definitely. And I think I appreciate you bringing up the enrichment. I th- for me, there's the really clear moment uh, for that was in Ann Lister's monologue in bed with Ann Walker when she breaks down. She has this just like beautiful, beautiful monologue. And I believe I believe that was episode six. Yeah. But overall and overall, like in the bedroom scene, oh she says like you came so close. Right. And it was just this like yeah. longing. But you see her fighting so much, fighting her emotions, fighting this world where only men have control or authority. And it was really, really incredible to see just the depth that this main character, the actress, went with Ann Lister Mm. all over the place. And the levels of society that she gets into to the relationship with her past lover Mm. and her desire to be, to have companionship. Yeah. And we talked about her in previous episodes going all in in relationships, falling head over heels. It's clearly what's happened here with Ann Walker. And it's really believable. And it's really, they did a great job of letting us understand why because when they were together and it was just the two of them in the whole world you know and it was they was just them by themselves and yeah and she could see how she really really fell for ann walker and then you really see ann walker's mental state unraveling in this and and continuing to not have anyone in her life really supporting her in a healthy way that is for her well-being and not for the well-being of themselves or the aggrandizing of their family or whatever. Truly. So that Yeah, it's horrible. So it's just this poor thing. Yeah. yeah. She's just getting pulled all around. Um and yeah, so that starts with her nightmare and 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 really I think an episode here. I think she's having uh whether it's a manic episode or right, some psychotic. type of psychotic, ep- yeah, psychotic episode. Yeah. Or break, mm-hmm. right? Though it is referenced um, that this has happened before or uh, something similar has happened in the past. So I believe in that case, it's probably more realistic that it is an episode. And yeah, it's excruciating to see this play out and um, they, the show leaves no doubt and we can only assume that, you know, this is extrapolated from Ann Lister's personal accounts of what's going on Mm -hmm. um, with Ann Walker, but it's excruciating to see the scenes between them when she finally comes back to try to help her uh, because her entire family is, you know, throwing their hands up and literally, you know, it's what Catherine Rossin, <laughs> one of the Rossin 
daughters. I know. Um, I know. It's such irony <laughs> that the, the Ross and women are so nice and cool and like yeah, actually, supportive of Van Lister. Right. And they're just like stuck under, uh, well, and certainly these younger ones stuck under their fathers or uncles, uh, whoever the men are. And yeah, so these scenes of them together and uh, and Walker's completely, you know, in this episode, lost touch with reality. And, and Lister's at a loss. And it's hard to fault her or blame her for sure uh, in those moments. And it's also really painful to see the outcome as well. Um, and you can attribute it to societal standards and everything we've touched on so many times about the patriarchal world they live in. Um, and at some point, you do have to ask the question, does Ann Lister, um, you know, is she prepared for this? Is she prepared to, you know, does she do what's best for Ann Walker? She may think she does in the moment, but does she? I think, obviously, as we, you know, watch... Seven, <laughs> it's very much in question. We won't go too far ahead of uh, where we are in six right now. Right, but, but it does, yeah, it foreshadows the captain, the, the brother-in-law character, and there's something off. There's something off. The way he receives the letter, and he's he's very, like, you're just kind of like, he could be a problem. That was, like, that was my note. Yeah, <laughs> and there's something about this uh, progression in six where it feels a little bit like Ann Lister can't quite, you know, doesn't have in the moment the resources to deal with this or a good solution of how to deal with this um, there in Halifax. I agree. It, it seems like it's gone beyond what she can do just as a friend right. or a close companion, right, to get her back to that doctor. Even for something more serious, she needed to inform her immediate family and her sister that that action was being taken. Yeah. It's very kind of measured mm -hmm. and right. with the, with the discretion of not telling the extended family what's going on. Uh, but you did. Yeah. You got the sense that it was sort of that Ann Lister was caught between not knowing necessarily what to do and also having really limited options as far as what she could do for Ann Walker. Right. In the state. Right. And that's, and it speaks to the, the time. Like it's, yeah, she, because the consequences that she states would be, they'll have her institutionalized and take away everything from her Absolutely. and just absorb it. Yeah. If, if the wrong decision was made there in that moment. Yeah. So she's like, I need to get her with family that's going to protect her, and at the very least, her legal rights to her property and and all her money. Yeah. The tough, tough, it's tough really spot. Tough. And there, there's some unanswered questions we could ask because we don't know the logistics. Um, my biggest question is, why couldn't Ann Walker stay over Shipton ever? And why wouldn't the idea of, uh, if she's hearing voices from the clock, like get her out of this, this house, this haunted house where she's all alone and she's had so much like death and distress 
uh, I don't know if death occurred in the house, but right, her like parents died. Like she's had a lot of death in the family. And so I don't know the logistics of that. um, But for some reason, it seems like Anne Walker never stays over Shipton. uh, And maybe that's just based on her position within her family and all these people meddling and all this stuff and what they would say that like Ann Lister doesn't give a fuck, you know, like she, well, obviously she doesn't care what people say where she stays, but Ann Walker, maybe it's different somehow, but it was always tied. It was always tied to her taking the sacrament. Yeah. Like being married. And then she'd live with her at Shifton. Right. I don't know why that, why that was connected in that way, but that's always how it was talked about. And I think my understanding is that that could be as much about um, just both both of their standing where, um, so Ann Walker lives at what's called Crow's Nest, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's like this family ancestral house and she's known to have lots of money, but it's not, it doesn't seem like she lives in some like grand... I don't know. It's like an old, old house, right? And it's just like her in it. Anyhow, it seems a little archaic and more like whatever the setup, Ann Walker's still very much at the whim and whimsy of family to some degree because of this, you know, pratfall of of patriarchy. Whereas Ann Lister is like the unquestioned ruler of Shipton. Exactly. Yeah, she's got her, Ann Walker has her aunt there living with her as essentially her caretaker. Yeah, I don't know the exact um, le- yeah. legal and all that. But yeah, for some reason, it seems like, well, aside from that, it's Ann Lister. So she's proposing like, I'm proposing well, to you, yeah, come but it just move seems in every, with me. Yeah, and every decision that Ann Walker makes has to be run past somebody else. Exactly. She right? did, and she's not even, you just... And through the whole show, this isn't, you know, this episode is really excruciating. And th- this has been, you know, <laughs> known and set up. And we've talked about before how Ann Lister has a, a blind side or tunnel vision, too, that this is already present in Ann Walker and her character. This is how it is, right? And she says herself, Ann Walker says, I'm only you know, this self that you see with you. When I'm not with you, I'm this other person that I've always been. And her life, as we have said before, is defined by that other person, actually, in reality. So what we're seeing is, yeah, Ann Lister has full agency, ownership of Shipton, however how. (laughs) However how, that's not really a phrase, but I just said it. Uh, However that is, she is the master of Shipton. And so she can invite Ann Walker to move in. And uh, they would live seemingly very well in Shipton with all their collective resources. And, you know, like if she had said yes and not had this break or episode and they had actually gone ahead with sinking the pit, you know, under the initial plan with Ann Walker's money, seemingly they'd be like, pretty in a pretty powerful place the two of them together aligned but we know truly i think we know as the viewers that that wasn't ever going to happen at least in this incarnation and moment 
So the break is more, or episode, um, but whatever has befallen poor Ann Walker, where she's now hearing voices, that's not, that's the more likely outcome than them moving in together, realistically. Sure. Like that's, that is the really painful, but what we kind of have seen coming in a way. Um, And it doesn't soften the blow, and it is excruciating. And as she's leaving Halifax, um, yeah, our heart is breaking for uh, both of them and just for this um, this person who was a real person, of course, as well, and uh, really had, you know, dealt a horrible hand is a pretty mild way of stating it. She just has so much working against her being a healthy, full uh, woman and, mm-hmm. and individual in this time. And it's really excruciating to see through uh, six this play out. And uh, But it does feel inevitable in a way and um, not surprising. Uh, but it's, it's really hard and it's hard to see Ann Lister, uh, I guess, feeling like she had to do this for her, her sanity, uh, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. And the episode was structured in such a great way where... He didn't even, it took the very last scene when uh, Captain Sutherland's mother was sort of saying to her, talking about the cousin and maybe she'll marry him and he's got money problems, but, you know, it could be good for them both. And it just all of a sudden starts to unravel, like, was this a good idea? Like, and she's processing that in the moment and like, in a sense of like, oh my God, what did I do? Slash... There's nothing else I could do right now for her. Yeah. She's got to get, either she gets through this or she doesn't. And that, there's almost a real sense, especially as we go into the next episode, that she's not like thinking she's going to make it through that, that it all was too much for her mm-hmm. and the fantasy of them living together. Mm-hmm. And, and there was that in that monologue or in the moment or some of the scenes later with her older lover, Mary, she's just talking about her, her strength that she was able to carry the stares, the comments, Mm -hmm. people talking behind her back, like all the negative aspects of it. Sure. She actually, it hit her harder than she really let on. So for her to expect and Walker to be able to handle that wasn't realistic or or practical but overall i thought episode six had a wonderful structure it started with the title which came up a bunch of times um do ladies do that um and the titles mm-hmm. were fun throughout the series but none more pre- no more like kind of prevalent than this one yeah and it happened a few scenes where she's talking about traveling abroad alone now without miss walker yeah she's got a like, new groom so yeah, she can travel she's, alone she's, <laughs> she's written for a new groom, Thomas Beach, who everyone is very excited about. I think it's funny to build up anticipation for a character as minor as Thomas Beach. Yeah. I just think that's like sort of fun. Yeah. And, but all the moments where people sure. are just like, do ladies do, do ladies that? ladies do that? <laughs> Travel alone, right? That's what they're talking about. Yeah. Do ladies yeah, do exactly. that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Even though she'll have a lady's maid, she'll have a groom, manservant. She knows people everywhere. She won't have a traveling companion. Do ladies do ladies do that? Is that a thing ladies do? And she's like, well, not usually. <laughs> that was good. Um, so I liked how the continued 
its trend of this, I don't want to say upbeat, but the pacing of Gentleman Jack is very specific, right? It's really tied into the theme song. It's 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 bright. It's it's moving forward all the time, high energy show. Yeah. And then and then in six, when it lands in these very dramatic and traumatic spots, it really hits hard in these moments. Yeah. And it does an amazing job of uh, pushing forward a lot of storylines now um, through the main action, largely. And so we don't necessarily have, you know, some shows, entire episodes focus on uh, different characters, different, you know, plot points, scenes, different angles, different stories, the same story played out through different characters, right? But this is... um, the stories are so intertwined and rich through these two episodes that uh, six really, yeah, takes us, um, you know, through so much that's going on. All these uh, ancillary characters and supporting characters, and um, also really focusing on the main story, right? So yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. And I- it made me think, and I need to do a little more research just because I'm, I'm fascinated. So if you think about how a lot of the show is adapted from Ann Lister's actual personal diaries and journals. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense when it comes to her scenes mm-hmm. in dealing with Ann Walker or anybody. Sure. And a lot of the language that comes out of that. But the really fascinating parts of this is how they maintain that through these minor character plots. Yeah. So, like, how did they do that? You know, like, was that more creative, more, you know, making things up based on other accounts from people of that area connected to her? How much of it was derived from her? Was she actually journaling about the tenants on her estate? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These are all questions I would love to ask the creator, Sally Wainwright, if we can get her (laughs) on this podcast. But I just am fascinated by the depth, the historical depth of this show and then yeah they take you into this town this community in halifax and Mm -hmm. and make these these smaller characters really come alive whether it's whether they're interacting with ann lister or with each other yeah um they're very subtle and very very strong all of them yeah and we get uh a new New story, right? Uh, a budding romance. And oh, yeah. this is a great one that uh, is a great way also to, to segue more into Seven and uh, the action, you know, contained in Seven. And uh, that, of course, mm-hmm. is this story of... Um, so Mr. Washington is um, the guy that is her right-hand man in the coal business, right? And he's... um, So it's not clear exactly to me why his status is above, uh, you know, our our young suitor and his family. Well, he's also the the property manager. So in the opening of the series, when she had to take the rent, Except yeah. the rent, that's that's usually held by that guy who was sick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So John Washington actually replaced him, and then all the coal stuff was actually extra. She was like, I want you to handle all of this yeah. property stuff and landlord duties. 
property management duties. Yeah. And then also, what do you know about Cole? And right. that's when he lit up, and that was kind of a cool moment for that character. He's like, he's like, well, I'd think a pit. Like I say, let's do it. You know, and he's just kind of like, a, go for it. So, yeah. Guys, so he's he's made something of himself, but you're right. This yeah, seems so to he's, be yeah. a class thing. Of, there's he's a, a farmer. Right. That's there's not a weird, good enough for my daughter. Right. There's a weird class thing where it's like, um, and of course, we've said before, we don't understand all the nuances at all of this system uh, within a place like Halifax. But yeah, so he is a tenant still, uh, mm -hmm. but he's like a property manager. So yeah, I guess you can kind of equate it like that. Like he's a manager and uh, young Thomas uh, is a farmer, right? He's a farm boy. He's a farmer. So somehow uh, we get, you know, we get this story that he might think that Thomas is below his daughter. Um, but they've struck up a romance, two teenagers, and uh, and Thomas arrives in his Sunday best. <laughs> what an, yeah. an amazing, heartwarming scene that is. And of course, contrast to what we know about uh, his story prior. Yeah, it all was pretty heartbreaking in the previous episode and they had their little date out in the field and mm. she was saying, we just, she didn't want to go away. Part of it was they'd gotten her apprenticeship to be a dressmaker so she was going to have to leave her yeah. family and she was like, I don't want to leave my family. It's so far away and I never see them and we have lots of fun after dinner, you know, after supper. Do you guys have that? And it was, that was really heartbreaking and yeah. this idea of everything Thomas has been through and we really don't know where this is going to go. It's like, I want him to have happiness, but he has such skeletons in his closet. Mm. It's going to be hard. It's going to be um, hard. And we know um, like there's always a little dark in his scenes, right? Um, not only that one, but just in general, like we know there's darkness that's going to come back somehow. Uh, yeah, it's or it's foreshadowed. She's so too. sweet. Yeah, and like his mother supporting him through this, and and then so and he goes and he makes his case to John Washington to marry his daughter, and yeah, he's fairly open to it, and I think partly because of and he says as much. He what he's done with the farm is really impressive. He's done. He's doing far better than his father was running it. Of course. Um, yeah. Which. Yeah, they it can see sense. his promise, um, you know, and Lister and uh, Mr. Washington are both um, speak his high praises, which, of course, uh, in Lister's support will eventually be the the tipper of the scales uh, because the mother is reticent. And it it's interesting that she's the one, it seems, um, you know, that feels he's below their daughter. Um, we have this sort of recurring theme now of uh, women being very like subjugated by the patriarchy, but also having their own very like traditional ideas and values still um, Ooh, that tie into touch. that somewhat too. It's interesting. Yeah. I just thought of that because, you know, we talked about how Ann Lister is the least open to uh, Marion dating Mr. Abbott, because he's a tradesman, right? So we have the same thing happening in this weird, like, subclass or, uh, you know, what we think is more equal, but apparently not still equal class. A farmer is much lower or lower 
everyone knows yeah. a farmer's lower, yeah. right? <laughs> than a yeah. property this, manager. The story, yeah, the storytelling is cool here too because they're not, they're filling us in on that sort of in real time. And Ann Lister saying, you know, Mr. Washington's for it. His wife has reservations. I need you to go talk to her. And that's how we're learning about this ultimately. And right. It's like, and then, so we, there's no like scene where the mom and, you know, the wife and John Washington are arguing about it or anything. It's just sort of, this is what is being considered around this proposal. Yeah. And, uh, and it's all, it's interesting. So it's like how young women's lives were managed, right? It's almost parallels Ann Walker in a way. It was this notion of like, well, here, yeah, she's got this opportunity. She could be a dressmaker mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. have a, have a trade, have a living, what she's going to marry a farmer. It's like, it seems like it's stepped down and, and, uh, but it, it's, yeah, it's really sweet. And the scene when he comes to tell him is sweet until he start asking about the dad and the tone goes real dark. And they, this actor who plays Thomas is really good at that inner life of, mm. oh, inner panic. Mm-hmm. of any time it comes up mm-hmm. when she says like, Oh, what, what are you even feeding those pigs? And he's like, this and that, you know, and it's just like this inner thing that, you know, I don't think he's really seeking counseling or anything to deal with these feelings. It's just, they're all just getting shoved down. So yeah, I'm a little nervous for Thomas. They didn't but, have telehealth or, um, you know, online <laughs> yeah. mental, so, mental health help back then. Um, yeah. You know, so I'm nerv- I am nervous for Farmer Thomas. The big news around Shifton is the new groom, Thomas Beach. He shows up and he is a handsome young lad who has Ann Lister's sister. <laughs> a little flush. <laughs> That's an amazing was- scene uh, when he first arrives in, uh, in the dining room there. Um, absolutely she was stellar in this episode seven the sister was fantastic and in the whole thing and it really she gets she has this big scene when she comes back from the bank christopher rawson was really rude to her and drunk and embarrassed her in public and in front of people in front of people which is actually was interesting scene and interesting thought because it was kind of the worst thing he could have done to her or the worst thing one could do to somebody at this time yeah was like embarrass somebody in front of other people in front of respectable folk exactly it was like this this era's version of internet shaming (laughs) or bullying um and so which leads to this riveting scene where they have the bad guy over to Shifton <laughs> for a showdown. And I just thought it was really remarkable because he really wasn't, I mean, I, my hat's off to this actor. He's probably the nicest guy that ever lived, this guy <laughs> in real life. But he is just playing, he is plying the boards with this evil character. It is like, and he's vicious and he's not, and he doesn't give an inch to Ann Lister in that scene. He doesn't admit anything. It's <laughs> and it's so frustrating because it's like it's you, you. It's funny though, and I think we have to assume, or I'd like to, uh, I'd like to think that Ann Lister knows what she's doing, and that he's certainly not going to admit anything. 
uh, there in front of her sister, right? Right. <clears throat> and there's a couple times they show, they, you know, cut cut to Marion, and it's like, uh, you just know, like, she's trying to get him drunk enough so he really does something, uh, but it's not going to happen, right? He's... It's not gonna happen. And we kinda know that. And she must Oh, you think you think she was trying to get him drunk so he'd lose his cool and like hit her or something? Like do something that mm. or admit or just slip and admit something? I think and it's not like just saying something in front of those two women still does anything. He's the magistrate and he's a man. Yeah. Wouldn't have really mattered, but yeah, I think she's trying to goad get him drunk enough and goad him into saying like I'll fucking steal all of your coal. I've been stealing, you know, like just say something that she can just be like, and then, because then he's going to later be like, fuck, I said too much, you know, like get him to do something he'll regret or think about. She's trying to get in his head. Um, Yeah. Is, you know, the way I read it, because she says, right, two can play dirty. And then you find out in that scene how she got him there. Remember? She went to his mom. That's right. Yeah, no, she went to his mom and she told on him. She to told his mom. all the ostensibly Blue like everything, and, just like everything she and, knows to be true. Uh, yeah, and he just ran right over there. Yeah, she knew how to get him over, but everything is setting uh, setting this scene up to be this like uh, you know tete a tete face off. Think of it as like the, um, what is it before like the boxing or MMA match at the like weigh-in where they like, the face-off. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Isn't that what it's called? This is like the face-off moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, he plays the bad guy perfectly, right? He's like, he gets just drunk enough to continue to be like exactly who he is, but certainly not going to you know, budge or give an inch. And he does also say too, like, this is done, right? Like this is the deals off the table. We moved on. Um, so within that, some interesting things are revealed though. Of course he never admits to any wrongdoing. Yeah. Is he talking about like the train, like the next like step that happens is like the railroad comes and he's already moving towards that. And it's just all over. Like, yeah. it's like, there's nothing she can do. Yep. At least that's what he's saying in that moment. True or not. So we get this face-off stand-up, this wild scene, and he's, of course, just uh, defiant as ever. Um, She gets to say all those things to his face, and I think that's really important. And And forces him to deny, to lie to her face, right? Yep, yep. And she... Yeah, she's Ann Lister's now locked in, right? She's it's foreshadowed from the opening of this episode that she is going to make uh, some some big decisions soon about how this is played out, and we are, um, I think, rightfully a little leery, right? Um, and so here we go. We're uh, she's. You know, she's dug in as deep as she can. Hey, that metaphor just, just <laughs> keeps keeps killing for this episode, especially. Uh, she's dug in now, and she is scrambling for every option, you know, in the wake of this, which I think 
goes, I think she gets the information she wants out of Christopher Rossin and she gets to show him a bit more of her sort of hand and might, um, but unfortunately the reality is she doesn't have the money to sink her own pits and she doesn't have the Rossin's money. So, right. But do you think that scene was designed from her angle to be like, yeah, if he doesn't budge, if he, if he like puts his foot down here, then he's also afraid of me sink. Like the, the worst case scenario for him is me sinking and then having proof that they stole all this coal ultimately. And even though she didn't have the money, that was the conclusion for her. That was just like, okay, I have to sink and just like, call him out now yeah to some degree um and i think that was what she had surmised right and so that was this was definitely confirming that and then also digging a little deeper um yeah to just see like how committed was he to all this right so she verbalizes everything um, and tells him the inflated price was to make up for the coal you've been stealing, right? Yeah. She, like, literally tells him at this point. So um, with that all out in the open, she wanted to see how he reacts, just everything. And both, yeah, to see what her move was, but also, yeah, to see his stance and try to gauge his actual uh, strength within that. And, you know, based on how long it's going to take to sink this pit, like, is she going to catch him stealing coal? Seems dubious now with everything we know. Yeah, yeah, it does. And the notion that they can just flood it, too, like, what is achieved by sinking the pit? Is Is it to actually mine the coal that you have left before they steal the rest of it to, like, make your profit? Or is it? Or does it serve both things that you do that and then you're able to say, this is how much coal they stole from us and we're going to take you to court to get the money or whatever. But I liked how it was, they were just calling each other's bluff throughout the whole scene. And she was even, you know, and he was just like, if you continue to make these allegations, she's like, let's go to court. Let's get it out in the public. I want people to know about this. And that was like, oh, whoa, <laughs> moment for him. Yeah. Kind of at the, the end that capped that scene. So, just some amazing scenes in this episode. That one for sure. And it leads to her making this intense decision to um, put up Shipton as collateral for a loan to sink a pit Damn. and do it in 12 months and to, to, to continue to leave so that it's, it's less obvious that this is happening or she's actually doing this. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a serious plan. Yeah, and her her goodbye scene mm. to her aunt, I thought was very touching, and the sister as well, and their yeah, their touching. embrace in the room, in their in their goodbye, and uh, and then there's these series of scenes that she has with her old lover Mary. It begins a little bit of foreshadowing of that when she sees the doctor in York that saw Ann Walker to sort of ask to keep her informed if she, if he is updated about Ann Walker's condition. Right. 
And then uh, she she brings up this idea that maybe her and Mary, his sister, can be together after all these years. And he sort of says, isn't there too much water on the bridge for that one? <laughs> and uh, there is a lot of water under that bridge. Yeah. They seem to... Is it water, still? Steve? Or is it tea under that bridge? Whoa. Because this episode gets juicy. It sure does. <laughs> so Ann Lester's trying to do her best to move on right. from Ann Walker. It's like anything she can do. I almost feel like it's she's like denying. It's like a form of denial around oh, her actual sure. feelings for Ann Walker. Yeah. And she's hot and cold, right? She's like mm. one day she's down about uh, Ann Walker and the next she's just like out on the town. Society. Society woman about town. A beautiful gala dress. Right. Gown. Uh, yeah. A very womanly gala gown, right? That scene's incredible. And, um, but yeah, this whole, uh, you know, beginning to travel with Mary and their, um, yeah, their back and forth and rehashing all the past and old wounds and then just starting to throw shit at each other. I mean, no better way to put it than they start slinging it, man. <laughs> it gets pretty vicious. Uh, Definitely. And and I thought it was interesting in how she was, and how Mary was dogging Ann Lister's high society friends that she met in Paris and these relationships that she likes and wants to cultivate and continue having. Yeah. And she begins trashing them for sure. But I thought it was interesting what came out of her was sort of like, you know, actually the higher up you get in society, the more accepting the people are, I found, of who you are and what you're about. And Yeah, and they're more you, interested you, in unique and interesting people. Yeah, and that comes through with uh, Miss, Miss Rawson. You know, the, mm. the matriarch of the Rawson family is fascinated by yeah and lister and like it does make a lot of sense that that high society is just like who's the most interesting person they can have at their dinner table like absolutely the, yeah it's like yeah and one celebrities yeah and i think my understanding is that and of course i'm sure this is a simplistic version but my understanding is that once you got to that point in this society they're referring to this uh you know, early to mid 19th century European um, society, once you got to what they're talking about as like high society, you could entertain whoever you wanted to, right? Like, so right. what comes with that also is just amazing ability to do whatever the fuck you want because you have, as we now say, fuck you money, basically. <laughs> and you've established this level of class and society. So yeah, that was really a great reveal. And they do a great job of uh, of sort of pitting these former lovers' characters against each other. And, um, you know, in any former lovers' quarrel like this, where they're like digging, uh, digging at each other, there's going to be this element of, you know, the archetypes, right? Like that's... Mm -hmm. I think what happens just in human nature is like we lean into these archetypes of what people, you know, are or aren't 
in relationships, in relationship with each other, romantic or otherwise. So they really, yeah, they get into these archetypes, right? And uh, and Ann Lister is high society and tr- gonna travel alone. Do women do that, right? And um, <laughs> and Mary's just married to this old guy, right? And it's like they play. They very, uh, very well play up the uh, difference of their paths since they were almost, you know, pseudo-married and lived at Shipton or wherever together. Actually, yeah, I think it's Shibden. I think I, think I said... Shipton? Okay. I think I've been saying Shipton, and you might have said Shifton at one point, too. And, but I, I just looked it up. It's Shipton with a B. Sounds like Shipton oh, wow. with a P the way they say it, but... Shibden, 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 oh. Shibden Hall in Halifax. Um, but yeah, Shibden. she could have been the one, right, to live with Ann Lister at Shibden. And, and so, so much is revealed. It's really a great episode for uh, a little more historical context. And this character, of course, we've seen before. We've seen her brother, you know, and we've seen them in very, like, sort of in and out minor contexts. But now we get the full backstory. Right, it was sort of like casual hookup, friends with benefits sort of thing, but now right. really get into their deep emotional history and how close they were to being together and how they both hurt each other in specific ways in this episode. Yeah, Mary's really hurt when she comes to understand that she actually proposed to Ann Walker, that it got as serious as, yeah. as it had with her years ago. That was like, yep. once she put that together... Mary never recovered from that. No. It was like, and it kept like coming up. And then she was hurt because, and I don't know if Anne was just reaching. She was like, come live with me now. And she was like, I wanted to come live with you. I came to you. And she was like, it was too soon after I inherited it. You married, you got married. And it just was like, by her marrying a man, as we know, what that does to Ann Lister at this point, like that was, is the, the OG <laughs> you wronged me moment. Kiss of death. And, 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 and her and Mary's, I'm going to say cavalier attitude around, well, after he dies, I'm just going to come and be with you. Like that's yeah. where her mentality was like, and, and she's like, so I just have to wait around for that to happen. I thought, yeah, it was, it was very real. You could tell the characters really cared each other, cared about each other, but you could also tell they were just really deeply wounded by each other. And this water or tea under the bridge uh, <laughs> was, in fact, too much. Yeah, and and you know, I think it, it. Sorry to interrupt, but I think it gives like a really good view of both sides to the story in this, and we mm-hmm. we do see how especially in those moments where it's just back and forth. We're like, but you did this, but you did this, but you did this, but you did this. And we just see it's like one of those situations where no one is right and no one is wrong. And they have dearly, dearly loved and cared for each other uh, over, over, you know, over many years and many kind of incarnations of this relationship, it seems. So we get a sense that both of them have deeply loved and deeply been wounded by each other or in this relationship and seemingly in their mind by each other. But it also plays out and we just see that it's like everything's blamed on just sort of situation and this world they live in. And 
Uh, we don't blame them. And we can even see how this Mary character thinks, yeah, as soon as this old guy dies, I'll just move in with you. Because as we said once before or twice before, maybe even the life expectancy back then is not long. So uh, the way this character, her husband, is portrayed, he does look like he could die any day. Uh, <laughs> Very right? likely. Right? <laughs> and Yeah, and, and what's interesting about the end of this is that although things aren't perfect for Ann Lister and she is in a constant struggle for her true love, companionship, happiness, the cure for her loneliness, yeah, all of that, the women that choose to be with husbands that deny their, I guess, true nature right and they go with society's situations like it doesn't for the two characters in the series it's it does not end well for them when we leave she bounces you can hear them fighting and it's just this inherently kind of depressing thing that these women are just unhappy in their lives with seemingly all this wealth and status and protection yeah and and uh but not happy lives and so Anne leaves and then this the this sort of all mirrors and Lister leaves and it all mirrors and Walker's struggle and state mm. and there's this real star-crossed lover thing that happens where she begins feeling something around Anne Walker being in trouble and I think at first she says we're going to go to Scotland before she's like, no, we're going to go to Paris. But it's yeah, she you, says we're going to go to that. She like starts to say yeah. Scotland. That's brutal. I'm curious if that was accurate for her in her diaries, just because you hear about that happening often, right? People having these like physical reactions to somebody that they love very, very far away geographically. Something happens to them, and then they have this like mm. psychic sort of moment about it. So that was cool. And uh, I guess we got to, if we're talking about these two episodes, we do have to talk about how karma kind of comes back around for her French maid. (laughs) Um, Uh, Eugenie. Eugenie, yeah. And uh, uh, that's great. They warn Thomas Beach about her nefarious ways. And he is not giving her any attention and it's driving her. Driving her bonkers, but we don't mind that because she was so rude to our man. James, I think. Was that James? Is that his name? Yeah, well, that was, yeah, that was rough. And uh, especially, you know, I think this episode, we even hear her speak English a little briefly, Eugenie. Yeah. She clearly understands English, right? And she probably speaks enough English to communicate with him, too. Uh, But she, you know, hides behind this, like, I don't speak English, French thing. And so the woman, the, you know, maid of Shipton, uh, the former lady's maid of Anne Lister, she is, you know, this go-between and translator. And uh, so she does get her back eventually and serves justice and karma uh, in a sweet way. And it is pretty hilarious because... Everyone is, you know, so enthralled with this this groom, Thomas Beach, and uh, and he, yeah, won't give you Jenny even the time of day. Um, yeah, and, and Ann Lister's also kind of batting her around, and she's like, "Yeah, no, you sit in the back, I'm sitting in here." And she's like, "Oh, I mean, those scenes are all kind of funny. It just adds sort of some humor to these 
rather intense episodes, watching her, uh, things not work out for her after everyone bending over backwards to help her Yeah, for <laughs> all six episodes and then her just kind of not being grateful and then now now getting some real life consequences about that so we like to see that yeah and it's it's an amazing uh picture you know they don't i don't think they show eugenie and thomas like both on the back of the carriage but they show thomas a few times on the back right and uh it's just an amazing picture and then you know what you just referenced and lister's like no you you know, Mary essentially is riding with me, getting the back, and uh, that's that scene where Ann Walker—I mean, uh, Ann Lister—is holding the uh, thermometer. Yeah, <laughs> that was so <laughs> funny. Yes, I'm strange. I'm holding. You know, I'm bringing the thermometer with me on vacation. I'm. I'm. I'm <laughs> I travel. I'm a woman who travels alone with a giant thermometer. I'm fucking weird. <laughs> you of all people should know this, Mary. You know, it's just like. That scene is that so great. amazing and it's so funny. And I think it's a great, like, um, you know, coming back to what we were talking about um, towards the beginning of this episode, of this enriching, just deep, deep episodes. And we see, we see more absurdity. We see more like, um, what feels almost realistic because how could this character of Ann Lister be such an amazing, like, outlier within her time, such an energetic, fascinating, and fascinated human and not just have really rich and interesting and funny and weird moments going through life? And I think yeah. that we see in this scene is such a great example. And I... I have to say, I didn't, I didn't even understand exactly like what it was she had that she was holding until that scene. And it just really <laughs> brings so many things to the fore of how amazing this character is and how much uh, you just like want to be there and you want to know her. Like you want to know Ann Lister. Uh, it's amazing. And um, she, yeah, she just is as herself as ever in these episodes. And yet we also see her kind of swimming in quicksand a little too. Like um, the world around her changes and we are kind of reminded very much in Seven and towards the end here, oh, right, she's just returned home at the beginning of this. Like she's used to traveling. Like she's used to this being out in the world and being this crazy wild interesting, fascinating, and fascinated character that she is. Right, yeah, and then she longs for this sort of life that she can have settling down, having companionship, having a normal life. and totally. But yeah, she is fascinating. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because there's so much to her, and it, it was great to see that all come out in this episode, yeah. in episode seven. Yeah. See her how busy she was in London, running around, all the people she had to see, all the notes and invitations and everything she was getting. and Yeah, everyone and wants yeah, to she's see Yeah, she's a rock star. She's a rock star. Yeah, yeah which we have talked about before, right? The celebrity yeah. aspect. and um, Yeah, just, yeah, she's most wanted, London's most wanted guest. Uh, it's pretty incredible. And... Um, 
Yeah, I wanted to also just say, like, you know, this moment where um, we seemingly get to see her have some sort of connection and realization of what's going on with Ann Walker. Um, yeah. It evoked several things for me. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, I think there's, we could probably do a whole podcast literally about like the symbolism of mirrors. <laughs> and there's been a lot yeah. in other, you know, shows, films, stories uh, about mirrors. She's, looking in the mirror, right? And so we already have this aspect of um, breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. But then in this moment, um, yeah, maybe this sort of psychic connection of kindred souls, lovers, beloveds, whatever happens. Mm. Um, it's, in my mind, it's almost the first real magic we see in this show. And I would call it way more magical realism. It's not, there's no magic. Like these are uh, actual historical accounts. But we have to believe that. Right. And she was also very kind of scientific. And totally. All of that. Cerebral, right? Yeah. But we have to believe if this is like from her personal accounts that she, she likely, unless it's completely just a story point they embellished, <laughs> I'd like to believe that she somehow in her diary noted this pang she felt this connection, this something. And then later as more is revealed, it seems clear this is going to connect. She's going to be able to be like, oh, wow, maybe, or potentially, right? So in this moment, we don't know. But in my mind, this is maybe the first signs of Anne Lister's own belief in, maybe it's just love, I don't know what, but something right? She tries to be so like calculated and good at business and scientific and all these things. And yet we know she falls too hard and we know uh, what a just lover of, of life and interesting people and things she is. So we get to see a little bit. Um, and like you said, she starts to say we're going to Scotland and then switches back to Paris. Uh, we get to see a moment where Maybe it's just intuition, right? But she is finding something new and there's something new happening. And um, yeah, it was cool moment because we're sort of, as the viewer, drawn in through this device of breaking the fourth wall. And so Anne's looking at the mirror at herself, but kind of at us. And then yeah. this thing happens with Anne Walker. It's just a very... Very uh, powerful moment and so subtle, and yet they've like set it up over the whole season, right? So it's, um, yeah, I just I did yeah, I, I did notice with seven that there weren't those like cute asides. No, everything was like she was dealing with an emotion or dealing with something, and you could get a sense that she was aware that we were watching her, yeah. but never like looked at us or winked or anything. Like it was it, definitely a different vibe. Definitely. With that, and good and good point to sort of say, bringing in some of these intangible things that happen in life, magic. Whatever, love, yeah. All that stuff that you can't quantify, you can't, doesn't exist on any scientific chart or journal that she may have read. Right, right. And yet, my experience is in those moments, um, I've come to accept whatever 
word someone feels best describing it, you know, coincidence, serendipity, all these things. Um, it's better to to really like have your eyes open and and understand that you can sometimes literally put that piece put those pieces back together and be like, no, wait. I was looking in the mirrors before I left. It would have been about this time on exactly this, like I was in London. These, like she could go back somehow and pinpoint that later. And of course, I don't know what happened. So uh, I won't speculate too much. But um, I feel like in my mind, those things are not, they're not accidental in the way that I see the world and understand the world. Like when intuition, or some other force or something else speaks or you just know deep within you something, even though it can't be explained scientifically necessarily, those are the moments to trust uh, implicitly. And I think we see that a little bit. And then we see that she doesn't, for whatever reason, go to Scotland or she says Paris instead. So it's very fascinating where it goes right at the end of this episode. And of course, Steve... We know that this was the mm. penultimate, and we know that there's only one more. So you gotta have a big setup for the finale, right? And yeah, we and get they definitely gave you a big cliffhanger there Oof. at the end of seven with Anna passing out, having really harmed herself and really peaked, peaking mental and physical harm for her. Big cry for and, help. Uh, yeah, and just not, you know, it's just, again, it's so sad that she doesn't have family looking out for her. It was, there was a scene earlier, I think it might have even been in six, where the sister sort of yeah. pledges to her, I'm, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I'm going to take care of you. But then, and you're watching that and you say to yourself, but you don't have any power here. Exactly. And she points you that have out. To do, Ann Walker points yeah. that out. She's like, you're afraid of him, aren't you? Yeah, and that that just to they got to they got through Edinburgh and they were like, nope, no need to see a doctor. She's all good. And it's like, really, dude? Like, what? No, I'm just gonna get her in my house and marry her off to my cousin. And yeah, that'll there's fix real. Ugh, yeah, there are real consequences here, and you. Well, he doesn't want a stigmatized asset, right? Oh, good point. I didn't think about it that way. Oh yeah. No, you yeah. got to like really put yourself in this, you know, we don't know what his deal is yet, but we don't get good vibes. And we know he's trying to pawn her off on his broke cousin, uh, who may be a decorated military man or whatever, but is definitely bad at managing money and, yeah. you know, foreshadowed before this. So we, yeah, we have this, yeah, this realization that, um, yeah, no one, no one that has an, enough agency in this world seemingly can help Ann Walker. And that's just brought to bear so painfully. You know, I do think it's interesting that um, to sort of close out this episode, you know, and, and this conversation, I do think it's, it's interesting in this uh, episode ending that Ann Walker initially cuts herself accidentally Right. Um, but then looking down at the piece in her wrist seemingly can't help herself in this like final mm. 
I don't know if it's an attempt on our life, you know, cry for help, what, we're just left. This cliffhanger, as you said, but it spoke to me that it was not, um, you're not shown her intentionally harming herself from the start. Uh, you're shown an accidental cut seemingly leading, escalating and leading to more. So I think that yeah. is obviously very intentional and uh, gives us a very small shade of hope uh, that she's going to recover at some point. I mean, this character so central still to Anne Lister's heart, it seems, that uh, we haven't seen the last of her. Let's hope. Let's hope. Well, Eli, you are going to find out because we and everyone at home hopefully will also watch the final episode of season one. Wow. Gentleman Jack, episode eight. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. And then after we're done, Eli is going to pick his next show. So make sure Ooh. you tune in next time. Oh, yeah. Shows with friends. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be fun. Thanks a lot, friends. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that we are really excited to be a part of a growing podcast network. It's called Connected Podcasts, and there are many other great shows on the network that we think you are going to enjoy. That's connected, C-O-N-N-E-C-T-D, podcasts.com. Thanks for listening.